This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Here's my quick thought on what happened last night uh, with Hockey Canada. And I'm going to absolutely explain this as I see it. Um, Women's World Hockey Championships. Been a big success for Brampton. Fantastic. Uh, The estimated economic impact in Brampton is between five and six million. Lots of people have come and had a good time. And now maybe they'll, they'll come back. That's great. Fantastic. I I was there last night and I couldn't believe the atmosphere, the sense of community, all of it. And two hours before the game, a release drops that Hockey Canada has had their funding resumed by the federal government. They say the organizations met the reform requirements. Um, You remember there was a lot of allegations about players accused of sexual assault. There's still a pending criminal case in London, Ontario, all stemming from a gala involving the 2018 World Junior Team. And a woman says she was sexually assaulted by eight players, and Hockey Canada quietly settled that lawsuit. Quietly and quickly, I should point out. But last summer, it was found Hockey Canada had a national equity fund. They were paying sexual abuse claims that people didn't know about. And basically, they basically kicked out the old board and got a brand new board in. Needed to be done. Why announce this two hours before the most important, celebrational, um, event in in the sport of women's hockey. It's on page A1 of, of many papers this morning, including the Globe and Mail. You know what's not? The game. Now, you might say, well, Canada lost. Would that be on the on the front page? No, it wouldn't have. This story was going on A1 in the Globe and Mail and, uh, and other papers, regardless of the result last night, which was a 3-3 game until there's five minutes left. So at 10 o'clock last night, they're already deciding what's on page A1. I have no idea why the federal government decided this was their time and their moment. Also, what's changed from nine days ago? You want to announce this at the start of the tournament? That feels kind of celebratory. Great. Do that. Pascal St. Ange is there last night. She's the Minister of Sport. She talked tough about Hockey Canada. There's no question about that. I think that it shows that uh, Hockey Canada's leaders are losing support, that they no longer have support of their sponsors, of uh, Canadian uh, families that are sending their kids to, to play hockey and they're also losing uh, support from their own members uh, so I hope that uh, they understand the message and leave uh, before they burn it to the ground okay I mean look the new board hasn't how can they prove anything they've just got there so I don't know that this seems premature but what are they supposed to do they're not the old board okay it's the new boss not the old boss so that's good but why, why steal the moment last night? They insisted on meeting with the players between the semifinal and final game. I think that's a distraction. That's not why Canada lost. But I know, I know if you injected some truth serum into these players, they'd say, this is the last thing we wanted to worry about. It's also the last thing they wanted to ask her questions about after the game last night. So it was just tone deaf from Minister St. Ange, the whole infrastructure, Announce this before the tournament starts or announce it two days from now. But it took away from the women's moment last night. I promise you that. That vibe was there in that arena last night. Shiva Siddiqui joins me right now. You're watching the game. You've got a hockey mad daughter. Does what I say make some sense about about the timing of it? Oh, yeah. I agree with you there. I mean, it's all of this is questionable. And for you being there, okay, so I was watching the game from home. You're right. My daughter is obsessed. (laughs) We all watched it together. The energy at the beginning was very different from the energy at the at the end. What was it like being there? Uh, phenomenal until it was 5-3. I, I really, like, it, it, incredible. It, this rivalry, the fact that they go back and forth, 
And they're always close games. And they always come down to the third period. Nobody ever pulls away. Um, it's amazing for the sport. There's no rivalry quite like it. And I'm telling you, t- like the Leafs are going to play tomorrow night against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm going to tell you right now, those players last night playing care more about that game than those players will tomorrow night. Mm. A, lot, a lot of Lightning players have won the Stanley Cup already. Those players, they, they do want to win, but they also love making six, seven, eight million dollars a year. And none of the players last night, like they are truly That's playing it. for passion and and love. And it's fine to, to, to do things for money. Of course it is. But um, you see I, the difference, though. You feel yeah, it. Yeah, I, I can do. imagine you being there in the arena. You really felt it. The best part of this, though, was that, you know, you you were planning on going mm-hmm. and there was a possibility that I might go. And, and then I remember you asking me, yeah, you know, it's like when you go to a game, you know, you sit in the box. It's the same thing as and I'm like, whoa, 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 Greg, sorry. <laughs> Uh, I've never sat in a box <laughs> at any event in my life. I find Sorry. it hard to believe you haven't experienced a sweet life. No, yet. but you—that's all you do. The way you said you're like that. I only sit in the. You've suite. stayed in a few nicer hotels, but but for sports <laughs> events or concerts, you're with the rank and file in like section three eighteen. I and am. Row I'm 20. in the nosebleed. You're in the absolutely. nosebleed. You're you're a nosebleeder. I find that absolutely. I, I found that a little a little tricky to Just believe. Just the way you were like, yeah, you know, when you're in the box and you're watching the game. No, Greg, the rest I of don't us know. don't know what that's like. Sorry. Gordon and I feel like nosebleeders. Are you? She was saying she's a nosebleeder. Are you like I'm buying it? I believe her. Yeah, I but you learn be, something every day. I've been in a private box. I'm oh, not, I'm not ashamed to say. Oh, I'm not ashamed God, to say. Guys. Okay, center Living ice. The high life. Center ice, right below, right, right above the TV camera. Whoa. Look at that. Yeah, I'm also phone first class. Yeah, I mean, I I try not to turn down invitations. Yeah, well, that's so. why I went. I said I'll never get a chance to do this again, so I'm yes. going. And turns out I haven't. Yeah. Well, they'll be back. The next time they're back in Brampton, uh, Sheba, your daughter, will be driving and she'll drive you to the game and you'll have to spring for the suite. And the parking, I'm telling you two things. Parking was free last night at the CAA Center. I can't remember the last time I parked anywhere for no money. I'm waiting. I got my credit card ready. I had it pulled out. I got my green pee in case Brampton's using that. Nothing. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. I don't know if I'd consider our next guest an intense person, but if you're the police chief of one of the biggest cities in North America, you got to have some intensity at times. Mark Saunders is running for mayor of Toronto. And he's joined us in studio this morning. You laughed when I said intense. (laughs) Yeah, I know most people think that I'm calm, like Hawaiian kind of calm. Really? Yeah, that, that's but, not your campaign slogan. I, uh, no, I, I can't break. advise you to go with that or not go Listen, with that. Listen, when I turn it on, it's time to rock and roll. So. Okay. Well, you're, the second segment, you've got um, some... I, I know you know bail reform is a major topic. And I know um, that our audience knows that municipally, that like you can push and you can prod. There's nothing you can do unilaterally to change it, but you can sure start having conversations. So second segment, we're going to make it all about bail reform, sure. the justice system and where we're going. Um, you, you, I think I, I've moved on you in the last two weeks in the sense that people are telling me very credible. People are telling me you can win. And I will admit two weeks ago, I wasn't sure there was a pathway. What I'm telling you now is, Everyone's convinced. I'm convinced. I also think every other contending candidate is convinced. Do you kind of feel that energy and environment based on the last 14 days? All I can tell you is it was my heart that brought me to this table. I'm watching the city turn in the wrong direction. We're the fourth largest in the North American continent. I don't want it to move that way. This is a better city than any of those cities. I'm in it because I'm passionate about this. And when I talk to people the weekend, I'm knocking on doors. Their heads are nodding up and down. They get it. So that's why I'm in it. Toronto needs to be fixed. Have the last two weeks made you more confident you're going to be the person? 
I feel really good. June twenty yeah. sixth will tell us. June twenty sixth will tell us. But I can tell you, I feel really good. Um, my what I'm saying is resonating with almost everybody I'm speaking to. Now, your background uh, says you won a, a student council election a, as president. Um, what was what was your platform? More dances, longer recess. What? Did, how did you pull that off? Well, I got to be mayor of the Dan Milton when I was in grade eight. And the, the big issue was uh, garbage. It was garbage. Was it garbage? <laughs> here we are. Fast forward. Garbage in, garbage yeah, Here we are. Fast forward. How much did you win by your student council election? What was, was your percentage? It, it, it was a landslide. I was that good. Well, you, you may not need that much this time. You may not need a 50% <laughs> or 45% um, this time around. You, you have tapped into emotion in the city. I, th- I think people are um, more fearful. They're angrier. Um, they worry. And... I think that there is that sort of palpable environment. When you watch from afar the issues that were on the table for John Tory getting reelected, I didn't think that emotion was there, but those issues those issues still remain. We haven't just turned on the light and chaos and disorder have hit us in the face the last six months. Where were these issues in October? You must have wondered where they were. I was wondering why they're so suppressed. That that was something that I found key. Why were they so suppressed? I can't answer that. But what I can tell you is when I talk to people, they're very visceral. It's voices that have not been heard for a long time. And, and that is one of my platforms. All voices have to be heard for us to make proper decisions in order to be valuable as, as government, uh, city government. So this city couldn't have got, you left the post of police chief 21 months ago. The city didn't get broken in the last 21 months. So there is, do you look and say there's an element of the breaking, because you describe it as that in one of your recent videos, there's an element of breaking that happened on your watch. Is that safe to say? I mean, that's, that's all, that it happened while you were chief. You might tell me there was, there, there was only so much you could control, but some of the breaking started to happen before 2021. Yeah, my platform is crime and disorder. And the key difference right now is the disorder is normalized. Everything has been normalized. It wasn't normalized back then, but it is now. I go to meetings downtown. I'm stepping around people. People are on the ground everywhere. The carjackings everywhere. If you felt safer now than you did when I was chief, the answer to that is no. Nobody feels safer right now. It's a thermostat that's gone up incredibly uh, over the past couple of years. So what what element got started to break in 21? What were the internal conversations you were having among the people you trusted on your team in 19, 20, 21 to say, this feels like it's slipping somewhat? That's what I'm trying to get at here. Well, I can tell you in 2018, I started the narrative on bail reform. It was very glaring that communities were not feeling safe, that government was not listening to communities, especially the communities that were in most need when it comes to the firearm types of offenses that are occurring. So when we look back, I mean, you manage law enforcement, you manage brave men and women that go into danger, largest city in the country, you just mentioned fourth largest city in North America. Did something go wrong along that way with with a disconnect between politicians and, and your job and the job of the politicians? Like, I guess what the crux of what I'm getting at is and what I think the listeners will determine who to vote for. If you're saying you didn't break it and I'll buy that. But who yeah. broke it? How did it break? How did Toronto oh, gov- break? Government simply was not listening to everybody. Government was not listening to what the real issues were and what the real issues are today. Today, they're talking about heated bike lanes and all kinds of other things. When you go into the neighborhoods, you don't need to be a magician to see what's going on, the quality of life. When you go on certain streets downtown, it doesn't look like Toronto anymore. It simply doesn't. Yet the discussions are not being had. So do we lay some of this at John Tory's desk? 
No, you know, I wasn't in the rooms for those discussions, but I can talk about me with my 38 years of public service, being in all of these corners right across the city, and then at the executive level, understanding policy, working with all levels of government. Those two have to connect. They have to connect in order to be successful, and and that's why I'm in. Do you look and say even, um, you know how much... um you know, I appreciate you coming in this morning, but you know how much media you're going to do as mayor and what your weekends are going to be. You're going to cut some ribbons. You're going to like you're busy campaigning now and I know you're going all in. So then that will create three years of of where did all my free time go? And you and you stepped away from being police chief to spend more time with your family. I know you, you do realize you're going to spend a lot less time with your family if you win. I love the city too much. I love the city too much because the city that it is, because of the opportunities that it brings, but most importantly, because of the people. I've met so many amazing people and they're frustrated too. These three years invested are going to be key and critical for me. My wife was one who said, you've got to do it. Mm. So family's ready to go now. We're healthy and it's time to get this thing going. I didn't think you'd, I don't, and I think I'm seeing this with Myron Demke right now. Should a police chief be doing more media? Do you now look back and go, eh, that, that's one I might, I might want to do over. I might want to make my voice heard more on issues. Cause I, I, I think you could, you could have been, I know you were there and I know what people thought about you internally in the department. And I know you were inspiring within. I just wondered if you wish, if you wish now you'd spread your wings a bit, a bit wider about these big issues. People will relitigate what I did, but I, I, would, I would tell you this. It is only one tool in the entire box when it comes to community safety. Government's basic responsibility is to make sure that the citizens of safety are safe. There are so many avenues and agencies that need to take part. I've said time and time again, you cannot arrest your way out of this thing. And it's because most of the issues now have social issues or a failure of so many other agencies. When it gets dropped in front of a police officer, it's because so many entities have failed that individual. And we're seeing that more and more again. One more before we break. And I want to hit on bail reform, of course, um, given it's a it's a big uh, it's a big announcement from you today and a big call uh, to get the prime minister um, in front of you if you become mayor. And that's safe injection sites. I know you had a lot to say about it last week. And I, I do think there's some movement on this. I don't want to see people go, and I know you don't either, I don't want to see people go to prison for their addictions. I also don't think um, we're getting this right with safe injection sites, Mark. I think we're saving people in the short term. We're not incentivizing getting clean. If that's my son out there, again, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i start bawling if I talk too much about it. But if that's my teenage son out there or my son who's 25, I want him to get in somewhere safe. I can't have him on the streets and I don't want him going near a safe injection site. I think most parents are kind of shifting because I think we're, we're, we're not being sensitive to their long terms about this. Maybe it makes us feel good, but it's not, it's not working. It's not working in these major North American cities, Mark. Yeah. So I, the supervised injection sites do play a role in saving lives. And the reason for that, Greg, is because the potency of the drugs right now, like, like think about this granular, If it touches your skin, you can die. This is a type of stuff that people are taking right now, but it's being done wrong. Treatment and recovery are the most important factors from that funding perspective. We're not seeing that as we speak right now. And the other aspect too, when I put the letter in in 2018, my concerns were, are you going to be adding more pressure or need more resources for policing? Are you going to be helping or hindering the quality of life in the neighborhoods? 
It has been a hindrance when it comes to quality of life in those neighborhoods. People are concerned about their safety. Little girls are picking up syringes in their backyards. That has been overlooked. So that's exactly what I was talking to you about earlier. That's why I'm here. There are other voices that have not been listened to for a long, long time, and I'm going to fix that. And I think those voices are getting more vocal. We've got former Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders in studio with us. He's running for mayor. Uh, He wants your vote on June 26th, and he's released a statement today about bail reform. And Mark, I know it's been uh, it's been a cornerstone of of uh, some of what you've talked about so far. It just seems so patently obvious that this can't be solved at one level of government. Um, this this needs a municipal government. Yes, the province too, and certainly the federal government. The federal government controls parole, probation, bail reform, all of it. And uh, and there's there's clear, I think, data and evidence right now um, that we need. We just need a firmer hand with violent crime and, and convicted violent criminals. No, absolutely. When, when I spoke on this in 2018, Greg, what I like now is that all of the premiers are talking about this because before, no one was talking about this except myself. Now and it crosses political lines and it's exactly. liberal MP or premiers and NDP. They all feel the same way. Something's got to get done. Absolutely. And unfortunately, though, it, it has cost lives because when we are looking at the numbers, these are the most serious of serious criminals that are getting released by system. It's a catch and release and it's causing harm in communities. I can't tell you how many police officers I hear from, and, and I get the struggle of, uh, of you know, they can't call in and say who they are, but they tell me, and I want to protect their anonymity, and I always will, and they say, I've arrested the same person doing the same thing five times in the last nine days, three times in the last 11 days. Like, we're, these crime numbers are more often than not a lot of people doing this. Like it makes it sound like everybody's committing a crime based on the numbers. But when you consider the multiple offenses, it's not true. And, and one of the things that people don't talk about, it actually causes a, a loss of relationship between community and police. Because when you ask the public to do something and they do and they make the phone call and then you make the apprehension and then buddies back out again, they yeah. look at the police. They don't look at the federal government. They look at the police and go, what did you do? You put me in jeopardy. I did what you asked me to do. And now here, buddy, is again, right in, right in front of my door. So it's really tricky. But at the end of the day, it needs to be changed and it needs to be changed now. Um, what would you what would you do as as a mayor? And, and what's your call for uh, for the prime minister? And again, what, the, what should he do? The basic responsibility of government is to ensure that people are safe in the city of Toronto. Definitely the largest city in the country. We have a voice, a loud voice, and that loud that voice is loud and clear saying that bail reform has to be done. It has to be done and it has to be done now. So making sure that the right story is being told, and I can have the stats that will indicate it is something that absolutely should be looked at, should be at the top of the table, should be discussed, and should be action. Do you think there's now it feels like I mean David Lametti, the justice minister, can uh, can have some certainly some sway on this, and I look and this is me saying thinking political strategist. I think the liberals are going to tackle this. I think they switched the gun bill around. I think they've switched a couple other things around. Is it possible that by the time whoever is mayor is mayor, that there's already been progress in the next two three months? Like this is a this is a pending issue, and you like you said, the premiers aren't being quiet about it. I hope something's done tomorrow. If it's done tomorrow, it's a great day for the city of Toronto. It will enhance community safety because right now what's happening is simply something that should not have happened years ago. What about the trust with, I want to come back to bail reform, the trust with police in in certain levels um, and certain communities. I I hear two things. One, I I mean, I, I hear from activists who do want policing reframe. That's why I always thought the defund slogan was so clunky. We can certainly talk about 
you know, budgets get increased, they get decreased all the time. But I think that that word became politically charged and co-opted. But I also hear from people who listen to the show who live in what they would class as unsafe neighborhoods. And they say people are advocating saying there's some sort of bias with police or patrol cars in our neighborhood. We want those patrol cars. We want our, our aging parents to walk to the grocery store safe. We want our kids to walk to school by themselves. Like those people, like you said, listening to all those voices, those voices are getting louder and, and they want that protection. They want that extra security blanket in their neighborhoods. Which is why when you're a person in authority, when you're a person in authority in government and you talk about defunding the police, two things, you embolden the criminal element, which puts police officers at compromise. And then the second thing, you're not even listening to the communities that are going, why can't my child go out there and play on Saturday at two, two yeah. in the afternoon? Because that last line of security is law enforcement. And you say defund, that means that cop could be gone. Yeah. you say, I mean, we're seeing this in North American cities with shoplifting, aren't we? We're like, if there's no consequence, you'll just do it again and again. You'll do it again and again until someone says, hey, that's not yours. You got to put that back. Yeah. And, and especially when people in authority, when you are elected and you're chosen to represent your constituents, the city of Toronto, when you use that language, you are a detriment to, to, to safety and communities right across the city. What do you want? I know you want to change how bail hearings go for really serious firearm offenses and you want it. You want it pushed up a level to the superior court and have a judge there as opposed to the lower provincial court level. What will that do? And is that a, is that a tangible thing that can be accomplished? Well, I think that it is tangible because when you talk about reverse onus, <clears throat> you have to prove why the person should stay. And when it comes to serious repeat offenders and violent offenders, it should be the other way around. That person should be able to prove why they could be put back out into community. What are the community roots that that person has? Um, what is their prior criminal record behind all of this thing? The bottom line, the judicial system should have a responsibility for community safety. So I'm saying it should be going to a judge, superior court, rather than a justice of the peace. And if I went one step better, if we had judges trained to understand the impact that these type of offenders have in communities when it comes to loss of life, when it comes to fear and intimidation, because don't forget, especially when you're dealing with street gangs, judges need to understand that one person represents a team of people that is criminal mind thinking just like that person. It has huge impact when you release that message that that person can go back to that team and do the exact same thing that they're in front of a judge for. Yeah, I get that. People are going to ask what other programs you're looking at. We are talking about bail reform. We're talking about enforcing laws. What, what do you give a 16, 17-year-old who's co-opted into a gang or asked to do a carjacking? I know in the States, they, there, are, there was a great HBO documentary on midnight basketball. COVID just just rattled all our change and we stopped like the kids had their sports careers broken up. They couldn't go on dates. They couldn't go here. They couldn't go there. How, what do we give the youth of Toronto that need something else so they can say, I've got this. I've got a community here. I don't need to be in a gang. What do we do? Yeah. So in, in my platform, and you'll hear more on it, this is not being soft on crime. It's about being smart on crime. And so there have to be different baskets and approaches to it. So how you deal with the at-risk to prevent them from moving in the wrong direction. What government really does really badly is high risk. They do nothing for high risk. High risk are you pull the trigger and you get incarcerated. 90% of people that are arrested are coming back out. Nine, zero. If we can't change the direction, break that cycle, then they will be a burden to the tax dollar. They'll be a burden to community safety within those neighborhoods got a massive plan on things that we can do to deal with that mm. but number one first and foremost when you pull that trigger in the city of toronto you should be going to jail 
there's not many candidates that are going to be able to match up with you for your knowledge of the law and and what it takes to enforce the law. What are you getting underestimated on right now that you think you're strong at? People say, well, what does Mark Saunders know about housing? What does he know about bike lanes? What does he know about transit? What, what do you think people are selling you short on right now? Well, you know, so far right now, the number one thing has been public safety. And yes, if I'm going to be the mayor, I have to have the ability and understanding of housing and affordability and how government works and also how to work with other governments. And these are things that I've done for numerous years. But I think one of the big things that I bring to the table is the fact that I ran an organization that was over a billion dollars. Yeah. And on top of that, 7,400 people. There is no other candidate has had that opportunity or the skills to do that. So I bring that to the table as well. And when we talk about housing, it's about building, it's about cutting red tape, and it's about the importance of what it does. There are things that intersect with homelessness, mental health, and addiction. So you'll hear later on, as I unfold the platform, all of these things come into play. What do you have to play catch up on? You got to give me something that you're you're working on it, and it's it's sort of new, and and your knowledge is growing, but but it's you're getting some some muscle memory with something. Give me something that you know was not an area of expertise a month ago, and you're working on it. Tell me what that would be. Wow. Um, ask me another question, and no, I'm going to get back to you what? on this one. I'm, I'm trying to think right now. I've got, a, <laughs> I've got a, a lot of people give me a lot of information on so many streams. Yeah. But I'm absorbing everything. I, I'm, I'm not trying to pretend that I'm ready-baked mayor can answer yeah. every single question. <clears throat> but yeah. I can tell you what my focus is. My focus is on what the community is saying right now. There are a lot of loud voices, a lot of tired voices that have not been heard. And, and, and so putting it all together, um, yes, I'm learning quite a bit, but it's all making sense. It's all making sense. People are going to ask you about the police's relationship um, with the LGBTQ community. They're going to ask about your relationship with it. There's a disconnect right now. It's the only major city where police aren't in the pride parade. How do we fix it? How do we get there? What can you do to fix it? Yeah, we've got to get to the table. Listen, and, and with me, when it comes to um, where I stand with the community, uh, I know when it comes to the MacArthur case, that was an incredibly horrible case, and my heart goes out to the victims and to the families and the loved ones that were involved in that. Um, I have to be able to move forward. Um, certainly learned from my mistakes with respect to that. Mm -hmm. Words do matter. Sometimes just trying to protect an investigation isn't good enough. Uh, words matter. And, and people that know me know that inclusivity is something that is number one. I know what it's like being a black person in, in this country. Uh, it's different. But you have to be able to have an open heart to sit down, to listen, to talk, to rebuild. And if I'm going to be the mayor, it's important that everybody is heard equally. No person will not have public safety as my number one uh, agenda when it comes to dealing with any community, especially the LGBTQ community. You got, last thing, you got a new heavyweight contender in the ring, Olivia Chow will announce today. What's your relationship yeah. with Olivia like? Oh, I, I don't have a relationship, but I, you listen, I'm excited that she's in. This is a great city, and anyone that takes the time to put their hat in the ring, you have to become so vulnerable with these things, and um, you know, bless them all, and, and let's see where this goes on June 26th. I'm excited about this competition. Let's see where it goes. I really appreciate coming in, and I hope you do it again uh, before the end of the month back. or in May. Thanks Thank, so much. Thanks, Greg. There's Mark Saunders joining us on Toronto Today. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Um, a phenomenal event in Brampton, and congratulations to 
all associated. The city of Brampton put on the World Women's Hockey Championships, uh, the IHF uh, Women's World Hockey Championships. Um, you may not have liked the result, but again, this rivalry, if you like sports, there's been nothing like this. There's been nothing like this for now like a quarter century. The games are always close. They're always the best two teams. That comes with its caveats, too, um, because some of the round-robin games are... Eh, you, you, I mean, the result is sort of predetermined. Yesterday as well, in the midst of the gold medal match, and I think it's worth discussing, I know it is, um, some of the parameters around this, Hockey Canada had its funding restored by the federal government. Now, MP for Mount Royal, he's a parliamentary secretary for public services and procurement, and, um, and, and I think was real impressive last summer putting Hockey Canada on the spot and asking the where and when questions. He is Anthony Housefather. Anthony, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks very much for coming on. Oh, it's great to be with you, Greg. Thanks very much. By the way, you should have been there last night in Brampton. I'm sure you're busy schedule. Like, the Sens are done. The Canadians are done. This was maybe your last chance to see hockey for a while. Well, I did watch uh, the first <laughs> period, at least last night when I got home, and uh, it was just too bad that we took some bad penalties at the end of the third period, but uh, the women's team is always amazing to watch. Yeah, um, and, and they, look, I'll put it this way. They got put in a real untenable position last summer when some of these revelations came out. They were sort of, you know, damned if they do, damned if they don't when it came to criticism. I, I saw them just very much stuck in the middle of the process. That said, tell me what, when, you're, when you react to funding getting restored to Hockey Canada, what were some of the benchmarks and boxes checked that uh, allowed the federal government to say, you were in our bad books, now you're not? Well, I think we looked at the progress of what Hockey Canada had done. So Hockey Canada, as we all know, changed its entire board of directors. Uh, a new board of directors with the new chair, Hugh Fraser, was elected at the end of last year. Um, they have done a very good job in implementing the recommendations from the Keenan Hutchinson report and from the Cromwell report to date. Uh, they've gotten a lot of the provincial federations uh, that were concerned about what was happening with the previous board on side now. Um, and uh, they've, they've taken very, very seriously the allegations in London. Uh, they are pursuing the matter internally. They've said that the players on that team will not be permitted to compete for Canada until the process is over, which is, which is another good decision by Hockey Canada. Uh, they've, uh, they've committed to the sports integrity uh, process of the federal government. They've committed to reporting back to us on, on, on the issue on a regular basis. And, and I think that there's a real culture of the new board that's, uh, that's permeating the organization. And really, I've seen a, a significant change. I've been very impressed. I've met with members of the new board. Um, I've had frequent conversations uh, with Pat McLaughlin, who is acting as CEO. And, and I, I've been quite impressed. Anthony, how's father our guest? Um, you've been very outspoken about issues that need to get fixed in gymnastics and swimming. There's many a sport that, uh, you know, th that we just need to play and do better at. What do you, if Hockey Canada were to get an accusation of sexual assault against one of its players at the junior level or, or at the adult level, what are you hoping they do far differently, far more transparently? Well, so, so the first question is now they're part of the sports integrity process. The matter would be referred to to the Sports Integrity Commissioner, depending on the complaint. They also, of course, would need to inform the police if there was a criminal allegation. Um, and in terms of their, their own process, I think they would have to be far more transparent um, about the approach they were going to take in terms of governance. Um, and certainly, decisions made by the board would not happen um, in camera without minutes being uh, taken of the meeting. Uh, they, 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 they would have a fulsome in internal process right now um, that would be accompanied with the Sports Integrity Commissioner. 
I know you made the point in the summer um, that perhaps Hockey Canada wasn't getting the best of legal advice. You've clearly got more confidence that they've got their ducks in a row. And if there is to be an accusation, that it sees the light of day, that all parties are heard, all parties are listened to, and neither innocence or guilt is is assumed as, as seemingly instantaneous as they did with, with, the, with the London scenario. Yes. I mean, I, I think that they have definitely changed their approach. The report from Justice Cromwell gave them clear guidance on what they needed to do. Um, they now have counsel on corporate governance. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, they, they've had training from the Sports Integrity Commissioner. Uh, they, they are definitely right now on a path towards, I think, meeting transparency requirements and meeting governance requirements in a way that should make everybody in the hockey community mm-hmm. across Canada feel much more secure. And now, Part of their job is also bringing the provincial federations on side and the different leagues on side to make sure that they're all committed to that process as well. Anthony Housefather, our guest on 640 Toronto. I know the incident in London involving the Hockey Canada Junior Team, police are, are still investigating. In essence, it's a second investigation. But but I'm sure some of those players, especially the ones that weren't even in London, um, I, I'm sure they're wondering, their families are probably wondering, when can I get my name cleared? What are you hopeful in, in that process uh, there? Because there is a bit of a cloud over the entire group of 20 players and I'm not sure, again, that's Hockey Canada's fault. It's It was their jurisdiction, mm-hmm. and they let that happen. But I can understand it from a family member, uh, a wife now. Some of these players have, have gotten married and had kids. They want their name cleared. I absolutely understand and agree. Those people that were not involved in the incident shouldn't be tarred uh, by, by bad actors. And the fact that you weren't a team and you weren't there, I, I mean, the players who were not there have put it out that they were not there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's you know, everybody, if you look at the list of players, can identify the players that weren't there because they, through their agents or directly, have told people they weren't there. Um, but, of course, the current suspension applies to them, and that definitely needs to get resolved. And I think the most important thing is the London police need to be able to complete their investigation, mm-hmm. and they need to take that decision in terms of whether or not they're going to recommend to be forward with prosecution. And then the prosecutors have to make that final determination and and, and, and go ahead. And then Hockey Canada, as you know, has its own process where it's looking at the events, but I think Hockey Canada is being very circumspect until the London police take a final decision on whether anybody is charged or not. And I think yeah. we definitely need to respect that process because in the end result, it's the London police that have final accountability to decide whether or not they're charging people criminally. Last thing, you're a pretty high-profile, high, high, profile, uh, high level athlete yourself. I would ask, and I don't know whether to lay this at the door of Hockey Canada. I think you, you're quite an innocent bystander on the timing of this announcement. But you, you know the case is being made. The women made the time during the tournament in between a semifinal game and a huge final game to address this issue. They were asked after the game, not about the devastating loss. Like It just felt like on the biggest day of of those players um, seasons that this announcement kind of stole a little bit of the attention and thunder is, could this have been done nine days earlier at the start of the tournament? Cause this has been done today after the game, not two hours before. You know, I've got to say I was not involved in the timing of the announcement mm-hmm. and I don't know the reasons why the announcement was made on the day of the finals. I, I mean, I think we can all understand why hockey Canada would be eager to get this out because sponsors are sitting there wanting to come back in, but waiting to get the, you know, nod of approval from the government before they do so. Um, but, but certainly this should have been a day where the players should have been the focus. And in the event that any of this caused diversion away from the players, I, I'm sure nobody intended that. 
Thanks for shooting straight with me, Anthony. I appreciate this. It is it is a big progress, and, and hopefully for Hockey Canada, for the sponsors, and, and for the programs that mean so much to the grassroots of the sport. Thanks for spending some time with me this morning. Always a pleasure, Greg. Have a great day. You bet. Anthony Housefather joining us on Toronto Today. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. You insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Three things I noticed in Brampton last night. This was amazing. First of all, um, I mentioned no paying for parking. 5,000, 6,000 people at that arena. They could have easily charged 15 bucks. They could have cashed in huge on these cars. And they've charged nothing for parking. Amazing. No, no metal detectors. You know how you go to an really? event? Really? Like every concert you go to, Sheba, when you, oh my gosh, when you get to Nashville to see Taylor Swift with your daughter. <sighs> yes. Like you're not only going to have to get there a half hour early to take the three escalators to your seats, um, but you'll also. Because I'm in the nosebleed. Right. Because you'll, <laughs> we're going to get you in a suite before the end of this show since, right. since Gordon and I know how to live the sweet life. <laughs> but the other thing I noticed was there was not a national anthem before the game. Oh. There wasn't. Now, the wow. goal, they, they're going to play it for the winner at the end of the game. Oh, right. Which they do. And I think that they should. It's an international event. But I'm asking, 416-870-6400, are you in or out on national anthems at sports? Sometimes it can really grab you. But I, do, I think a random game, tomorrow night the Lightning will play the Leafs here. They're going to play the Star Spangled Banner. And then they're going to play O Canada. But I'm telling you, I watched both teams come to the blue line, um, raise their stick at the fans, the crowd went crazy, go back and visit their goalie, and then go to the bench, and then they drop the damn puck. And mm. it was awesome. Really? Gordon, I didn't miss it. I can't remember the last time I've ever been at a game that didn't involve like my nine-year-old when he was still playing, that didn't involve the national anthem. Right. I loved it. Yeah, it sounds really, really good. And why do we do this even when the Leafs play Ottawa? You're both from the same country. Yeah. Why do we do it no, at an NFL game between there. the Packers and the Cowboys? Why do we do it? Yeah. So you're out. I'm out. On National Anthem. Okay, I am in on the National Anthem. When I'm at a Leafs game, when I'm at a Raptors game, oh, there's something about being there and hearing your anthem when I'm watching the Olympics. It's just make. sometimes, I'll admit it, it makes me a little teary-eyed. It's just such an emotional moment, especially if it's a really big, powerful game against another country. I absolutely love it. But let's learn something here. Okay. Where the history of the national anthem comes from. It's from the 1918, way back when Greg was born, World <laughs> Series. Oh, God. When the, the, Chicago Cubs, the Chicago Cubs faced the Boston Red Sox. Uh, and it was the Star Spangled Banner. They, banner. they played that during the seventh inning stretch. And that's when a new sports tradition was born. All the way back in 1918. Interesting. So, okay. So we're, we're 105 years in. 416-870-6400. In on keeping the anthems out means I could do without them. Gord in or out on national anthems before sporting events. Yeah, I, I have to lean towards the out, although they're making them more of an event. You know, you go to your Leaf game and they got the big Leaf flag and the big Canadian flag that... Well, you can get stuck underneath if you're claustrophobic. Yeah, yeah, I bend it up the whole thing. I'm yeah. too I'm too short. I don't even get to touch the flag because everyone else around me is taller. So they're they're grabbing it. So I'm just underneath the can. But if it stops when it stops and the anthem ends, it's a little like duck duck goose. You, then you got to move it. You got to move the flag out of the way because it's on yeah. top of you. It's blocking your vision. But yeah, I I went to the Carolina in 2002 to see the Hurricanes play the Leafs. Right. One of the greatest sporting events I think I've witnessed. 
just the whole, they play Rocky like a hurricane. And tailgate in the parking lot. Tailgate in the parking lot. It's 10 a.m. and everyone's all jacked and ready to go. And then the, the, the lights go down. They're playing that song. They come out and then it stops. And then we play the Canadian. But don't you think then, the Rock You Like a Hurricane or if the Leafs want to play 50 Mission Cap or whatever they do, won't the teams just come into center, five guys on the ice, drop the puck? Yeah. It, uh, I'm telling you, yeah. I watched it last night. Yep. It, nothing was missing. Yep. No lack of intensity whatsoever. Really? from the, Nothing. Shiba. I'm still getting over you didn't have metal detectors to get in. I can't remember <laughs> the last time I went anywhere there were no metal detectors. I didn't have to take my phone out or my keys or anything. Here's, here's another, here's a layer to the question. Who's it for? Is it for the audience? It's not for the athletes. The athletes would, they will Some not say crying. it publicly. Who was, who was recently uh, crying? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the coach in the Super Bowl. Yes. The Eagles coach. See? And then there's <laughs> the, the new Blue Jay, Kevin Kiermeyer, who loves the anthem. He's singing along. He, he loves the whole country. Yeah, so, you see those players I with mean, the national pride. There's, there's a little bit more gray than I realized. What if we just played like power ballads? What if we did like... <laughs> yeah. What if we did like White Snakes, Here I Go Again, go. or uh, Bon Jovi's uh, I'll Be There For You? Why not those songs? Yeah. Sheba, I mean, there's a good new kid. Like new kids, we do. Uh, no. We do um, Please Don't Go Girl. You know. <laughs> or, That's yeah. what you think I'm into? That would be my, my no, hype song? No, nothing. Please Don't Go Girl. <laughs> nothing like Game 7 of the Stanley Cup and Two Becomes One from Spice Girls Plays. And that's Thank good. you. There you go. Okay, listen, <laughs> Sheba, I'm, it, for, for NKOTB, I'm way more a step-by-step person. Yeah. I love Tonight. <laughs> I love tonight. I love la, that la, song. La, la, yes. Okay. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. I found this really, really fascinating. You may not know this, um, but bottle recycling in Alberta and a few other provinces, um, they figured this out. They figured out how to keep bottles out of blue bins because I think we all stress out that what we put in blue bins is not going to where it's supposed to be going. But it's not just beer bottles and wine bottles and even beer cans that can go back to the beer store. Alberta recycles all their beverages practically. You get you get mineral water. You go get one of those great green Perrier bottles. Not only can you um, recycle it, you can return it for money. This is happening in 10 of 50 U.S. states right now, including our neighbors in Michigan. Let me give you some of the numbers that actually just will blow you away in 2019. So last year before the pandemic, Michigan, 10 million people, fewer than us, collected 410.2 million deposits. They refunded out 393.5 million of those bottles. I don't know why they didn't do the other 18, but some aren't right. That's 96% of, of getting your money back. So um, it keeps bottles out of landfill. It keeps cans out of landfill. I see a single-use plastic water bottle, and it drives me crazy. Now, I'm a soda stream person. I am. I've done that for like eight, nine years for drinking water and uh, wouldn't change it for a second. But we're not we're not getting this right in Ontario. And here's the problem. We're not even trying uh, to some extent. Karen Worsig is Senior Program Manager at Environmental Defense, and she joins me right now. Karen, thanks very much for getting up early um, for me and our audience. W- what are we not doing right here in terms of even putting feet forward and attempting something like Alberta or Michigan is doing? Good to be here. Um, I think the problem, the main problem in Ontario is that we're not even trying to go towards deposit return for non-alcoholic beverages. We do have a very successful program for beer, wine, mm. and spirits bottles, but there is no discussion right now, um, except from some quarters, to expand that to non-alcoholic containers the way they do have in their successful Alberta program or, say, in Michigan, as you mentioned. 
Yeah, and and I think once you know once something's in the garbage, that's that's pretty tough to ask people um, to fish out plastic bottles and find a, a blue bin for them. We can control that in our own home environments, but out in the public, you know, big sporting events, concerts, um, you know, where transit is. It, it, if it's in the garbage at one point, it's staying there. And then it, your your organization estimates we've got 1.5 billion plastic drink bottles dumped or littered in Ontario each year. So no one's getting a refund because they don't exist and they're not even being recycled. And that's just that's an incredible number. That's right. So I think what the problem really is that, yeah, recycling is is a, a good effort. But if for for things like glass and metal, it can work fine. And f- And if we are really sorting our recycling so that we have them in streams that make sense, recycling can work. But for plastic, it's a real problem. Mm-hmm. And as we know over the years, more and more and more ki- different types of packaging are going into our blue box. It makes it diff- more and more difficult to sort it and more expensive. When you have a deposit return program, you know what you're getting back. You're getting all beverage containers back. Now, they can be made of different materials, but they're sorted and that's a much easier process for recycling. And I think even more important, it's a necessary process if we're going to start refilling containers, like with the soda stream. But we should be able to also do that on the go. Yeah. Like like you're reporting uh, nearly 80 percent um, of bottles get returned at the beer store. And Karen, it just it just becomes a routine. And it's it, it feels like there's a financial incentive, even if it's modest. You get rid of them. They're not going in the garbage. They're not. You're not worried that it's not going to be recycled properly. And it's like why if we walk past blue bins on a recycle day in a neighborhood, we'd never see beer bottles or wine bottles. And if we did, we'd find that really strange. Like people, people have figured it out and they've gotten used to it. That's right. Or and if you do see something, I mean, and on our street, people go by and take the, the things that are worth money out of the blue bin <laughs> to take them yeah. back themselves. Right. And so and this is a key thing about litter, because it's not just that these bottles end up in the landfill. They also end up people are finding them on the side of the road. They're in our parks. They're in our rivers and lakes. And, and it's the, the problem is they are seen as garbage. They have no value. And it's very expensive to clean things up once they're littered and and wasted, right? And so that's why putting a value on the container means it's much more likely to get back where it's supposed to go and much more likely to then either be refilled or recycled. Karen Worsig joining us on Toronto Today, Senior Program Manager at Environmental Defense. Who who starts that conversation? Uh, there there is an onus on on the big companies, right? The Cokes, the Pepsi's, and whatnot. Is it, do they have to start the conversation with government, or does government have to go to them and go, "We need you to be part of this"? Well, I think the, the government has set now a pretty high expectation for collection and recycling of bottles in Ontario, but it doesn't start until twenty twenty six. So that in in twenty twenty six, they're going to have to collect and recycle seventy five percent of all containers, beverage containers. And by the end of the decade, it's 80%. So they're going to have to get up to beer store numbers by the end of the decade. We don't believe they can do it. The, the beverage companies can do it without a deposit return. There is no evidence anywhere that a mixed blue box system or blue bins in public spaces will ever work to get us there. So the government has kind of started that conversation saying, you guys have to achieve a very high rate. We think it's now in the court of the beverage companies to say, fine, we will start working towards a, a deposit return system immediately for beverage containers. Unfortunately, they're not doing that. They are basically going to take over the, the, their part of the blue box system uh, starting in July 
And they're saying, we're just going to put out some more bins in public spaces and count on your home bin to collect all these containers. And we just don't believe that's going to be, that's going to work. So the, the government may have to go back and say, we, we don't think your plan's going to work either. We're serious about our target and you should get on it. I know there's people listening, Karen, that probably maybe they they find it ironic that, like I said, Alberta's figure this out. We kind of, unfortunately, I think we kind of sneer at Alberta and think, we're a lot more environmentally conscious than you uh, without bringing all that nasty oil out of the ground. But they have absolutely figured out how to do this and make it part of routines. There's huge numbers. They grow year by year. There's 200 independent places where you can take your bottles and cans back that aren't beer and wine, that are just soda or or, or spring water or, or, uh, or whatever. And they figured out how to do it, and we haven't. That's right. And, and, you know, it's not rocket science. And we used to do it here. And we'd still do it here for alcoholic containers. So this is something that's eminently possible. Mm-hmm. It's doable. It should be done. We should start it right away. Because the sooner we do it, the less uh, we will see going to landfill and, and incinerators and right into nature. Now, I'm very ready to be corrected at this, but I, when I go and buy, uh, I, I wish I could kick soda, but I, I haven't been able to. I try and drink as little as I can. Um, but I, I'm told canned soda is the best way to go. It's the, how would I put it? I, I don't want to say it's the best option in terms of the environment or, or greenhouse gas emissions, but it feels like it's the least worst. Canned soda is better than buying plastic uh, bottles and, and those big two liter bottles. And it's better. We don't sell many in glass bottles anymore, but that feels like the worst because of how heavy they are and what happens when they go in the garbage. Is, is canned soda the best option for people who want to buy soda? Well, cans are good if you make sure that they get recycled. And mm-hmm. so if because cans obviously can be recycled an infinite number of times, like the aluminum just goes back and you can make another can out of it infinitely the problem with plastic is it's it's to be honest plastic is less hard on the environment than cans to make the first time but you it's very unlikely that it will turn be turned back into a bottle so you need to make a new you need to take oil out of the ground every time you want to make a plastic bottle basically and that is the problem and then if if the can gets into nature you know it'll break down it'll rust it'll eventually go away when the bottle gets into nature it stays around for many, many years, centuries probably, and can harm wildlife um, and affect their habitats. So that's why people say, I mean, cans, lightweight, eminently recyclable. But again, if we had, I mean, we see with beer cans in in Ontario are twice as likely to get recycled than pop cans right now. So deposit return is still a key part of making sure those are uh, an uh, an environmentally friendly option. Yeah, I, I think it's an important thing to keep the heat on, um, you know, uh, the government, the Ontario Environment Minister, all, all of it, um, to to make sure that we can we can do what, like I said, 10 other states are doing right now, and that's growing. There's a lot more pressure on a lot more U.S. states to do this. Karen, thanks so much for coming on the show, and uh, I know we'll, we'll chat again about this important issue. I appreciate you coming on. You're very welcome. Good to be here, Greg. Karen Worsig joining us from Environmental Defense. Yeah, less than 50% of drink containers are recycled in Ontario every year. So even if you're not a big beer or wine drinker, you figure, okay, I'm dumping this in the recycle bin. Uh, you, you wouldn't rather take it to the store? They were t- they, A lot of these states take two-liter bottles. Those feel useless. Like, I kind of cringe when I buy them because I know at least with cans— I'm going to throw it in recycling. I'm not going to throw them in the garbage. Like, so she's laid that out there. That's the worst thing you can do is leave a few, you know, pop cans in your car. You clean them out and next, and you throw them in the garbage at the gas station when you fill up. It's the worst thing you can do outside of glass bottles. So, um, look, 
it's it's just the smallest thing. Alberta and Saskatchewan do it. And people are happy about it. And why wouldn't you want your money back as well for it? Now, I know you're going to say, well, they're going to charge me more. Maybe so, but then get that money back because you're paying for the pop right now. Okay, it makes a big difference.